Well, it is good to see everyone today. I feel like the family is back together. Um, everyone's been all over the place this summer, including me, bouncing back and forth between campuses. So it's really good to see everyone. Uh, almost this, the summer seemed way too long for me um, for many reasons, but mainly because I didn't get to see everyone weekly. So it's good to be back. Um, and this, this time of year is much more like a new year than New Year's in January. Is um, Everything resets, everything begins, and, and we definitely feel this. And this is a good time for us to, to reset and restart and refocus. And today we begin a new sermon series called Foundations. And over the next few weeks we're going to reset, restart, and refocus as a church family and look at our purpose, vision, and values here at Free Christian Church. And today we're going to look at our purpose. And so in your bulletins and on the screen, you will see our purpose statement as Free Christian Church. So I would like to just say this together. So if you would join me, uh, Free Christian Church purpose statement to invite people into a relationship with Jesus Christ and a community of Christian love develop them in Christ-like maturity, and mobilize them for service to his church and the world in order to glorify God. So our purpose, in a nutshell, is to make disciples of Jesus and be a disciple of Jesus. Now, one of the main questions I'm asked, especially when people find out that I was in the Marine Corps for 21 years, is why did you become a Marine? And when I, when I, I mean, the honest answer is I needed money, and um, yeah, I needed money. And so I went into the recruiting office, and I wasn't sure, and I, I said, I think I wanted to be a Marine. And this recruiter lit up, and he pulled out these tags. And all of these tags had, well, those are the tags right there. And he said, what is most important to you? You know, travel and adventure, educational opportunities, financial stability, this, that, and he threw all this stuff, and it was like, yeah, this is going to be great. But he didn't tell me about the deployments. He didn't tell me how boot camp was going to be. He didn't tell me that there's no middle ground for being a Marine. You're either a Marine or you're not a Marine. You can't be like a kind of Marine. He didn't tell me that this was like... This was not a casual commitment. He, was, he just kind of said, look at all the good things. And when I joined, and I, the first day I stepped in at Marine Corps boot camp, I almost felt like there was this bait and switch that just happened. <laughs> and I think that sometimes that could be with us. We see following Jesus Christ is not a casual commitment. It requires everything, and it changes everything. And Jesus has high expectations, and there is no middle ground, and he wants us to be all in. And as we reset and restart, we must refocus on the purpose of what Christ has called us to so that we could carry out that purpose in our everyday with integrity. Because some of us have felt like there's this bait and switch. We've come to Christ because someone sold us something and said, this is what it's like to be a Christian. And we're like, this is not what I'm feeling. This is not what's happening. And, and other of us believe that that's what it's like. And, we need to know what we're called to so that we can go and make disciples of Jesus Christ and fulfill our purpose. So if you're not there, go ahead and turn to Luke 14. And we're going to be looking at verses 25 through 35. And I want to give you context here. So Jesus has 
is in the midst of his ministry, and he's acquired this loud, this, this, uh, this great crowd, this great following. And people are following him for many reasons. And he starts to just lay down some very hard truth because people are following him for, for things such as, well, he said he's, gonna, he's the king. We've heard that he's the king, so he's going to overthrow the Romans. That's great. People are just kind of like, he says some really authoritative things. That's a good thing. So I'm kind of interested in this guy. So they follow him as well. There's some that really don't know what to make of him. Some of them are scoffers. And he just acquires this crowd of people. But there's a commonality between most of the crowd. Most of the crowd thinks they're, they're actually good with God because they're Jewish. Hey, I've been, I'm, I was born a Jew. I'm, I'm a, a child of Abraham. So I'm good. I've been living this life. I follow the laws. I'm good. And Jesus goes and he starts to just this onslaught of telling them, no, actually, you're not good. And he starts to explain what the kingdom is. He starts to um, get, them, get them to a point of resetting and restarting and refocusing. And the way he does this is through this unsettling reorientation of who they are, who they really are, and what they really need. And so today I want to do the same thing. I want to explore three expectations that Jesus has for us as we follow him. So let's pray and ask God to just bless our time. Father, we come to you, we bless you, and we entreat you by the power of your Holy Spirit to teach us the things that we do not know. We're about ready to explore some very hard words that our Lord Jesus said to us, Father. So give us grace in these moments. May these words just sink down to the very most part of our hearts, and may we be people that live this in all our lives. So we pray and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing we see is that following Jesus Christ is an invitation to death. Following Jesus means an abandonment of our past and a reset of our priorities. Everything changes when we come to Jesus. And Jesus goes straight for those relationships and those things that can easily become idols in our hearts. And he's, he, this first part we're going to see, he's asking the uncomfortable question, who is most important in your life? So we see verse 25, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. He's got this fan base. And turning to them, he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate mother and father, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life cannot be my disciple. Now, this is a highly offensive statement to us. When we read this, we go, what? But to them, that culture was even more of, a, of an offensive statement. Statement because this is a culture that the highest virtue was family obligation. And so to say, you must hate your mother and father, your sister, your brother, everyone in your family. I must become, I must become first. That was that was something of, of, of an offense. Jesus is not interested in the crowd. As a matter of fact, he wants to thin the crowd out. He's not worried about people and followers and a whole bunch of people. If he wanted a bunch of followers and a crowd and a fan base, that's easy for him. He has it. He can just tell them whatever they want to hear. But he wants to thin it out. And he says, you got to hate. you got to hate mother. you got to hate brother. you got to hate sister. Now, Jesus is obviously using hyperbole here. He's trying to make a point. He's saying that the love you have for me in comparison should look like hate. To all of those earthly relationships. Jesus isn't saying that those relationships are bad. He's just talking about the priority of those relationships. 
And he's making it clear that our love must first and foremost be for him. Jesus will not take second chair to our heart no matter who the person is. No matter if it's your kid, no matter if it's your wife, your husband, it doesn't matter. Jesus will not take second chair. And he continues, he said, yes, even your own life. When I went into boot camp, they make you do some really weird things in Marine Corps boot camp. Um, they make you speak in the third person. So you can't say, I would like this. You have to say, this recruit would like this. It was really weird. And I remember going, this, what does this mean? Like, who, why can't I just say, I would like a drink of water. I'd like to go use the bathroom. It's like, no, this recruit requests this. And the, the drill instructor would, would always say, it's not about you. That was his big thing. It's not about you. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, it's not about you. Following Jesus is, is an invita invitation to death and the priority of our, even our own self. And Jesus here is dismantling the self-esteem gospel and saying, your love for me must even exceed the love for your own life. That's how much you need to love me. I won't even take second chair to you. And he says, verse 27, whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Here's another huge offensive statement. You know, we wear crosses around our neck. We have crosses in our churches. But to them, the cross was an instrument of death. And it was associated with condemned criminals that were usually ridiculed by a jeering mob as they grabbed their own crucifix to be crucified. It wasn't a symbol of religiosity. It wasn't a symbol of anything. It was a symbol of death. And Jesus says, you need to carry your cross and follow me. And so we see that following Jesus is an invitation to the death and the priority even of our own will, of what we want. And the cry of our heart shifts, my will be done to your kingdom come, thy will be done. And so Jesus is dismantling this idea that we're the captains of our own ship. And that it matters, first and foremost, what we want. And he's saying, your love for me must exceed what you want, even if that means death. And he means physical death on this as well. So the question is, is why would anyone want to follow Jesus? And how can he even ask us to do these things? And how does this make any sense? It doesn't make any sense to us and our logic, but it makes sense in the kingdom sense, with kingdom logic. We must die so we can truly live. And Jesus proves that on the cross. He dies on a cross and is resurrected to, for eternity. So when we put our faith and trust in him, we have eternal life. So we must die so that we can live. That's kingdom logic. And our relationships, our identities, and our desires find their proper fit and flourishment when we die to ourselves and we put Christ first. You see, we can't love other people. We can't love our wives, our husbands, our children if we don't first love Christ. We can't love them the right way. And so we must put them second and put Christ first. Those relationships only make sense and flourish when we put him first. Our identities make no sense apart from Christ. 
When we put ourselves on the throne of our hearts, we screw things up. And we don't even know who we are. But we put Christ first before us. Our identities find their root, their flourishment, their fits. So we have to put Christ first. He's saying, everything above me, you put everything to death. I'm first. And so the question is, are you hating and dying so you could love and live? So that's the first thing. Second, following Jesus Christ is a call to give up everything. Now Jesus shifts from addressing the idols of our heart that prevent us from loving him and making him number one to shifting to addressing the motivations of our hearts. And Jesus is asking the question, why are you following me? Why? Why are you following me? I mean, he had that fickle crowd, that crowd that was following him for many reasons, and he's asking them, why are you following me? And he starts, he says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? He says, estimate the cost. I want you to think about this. Estimate the cost of what I'm asking. Like I said, going in the Marine Corps, I couldn't be a kind of Marine. You had to be all in. And Jesus is making it clear that following him is not this casual journey. It's a journey that requires us to give up everything. And it requires resources we don't have. When we come to Jesus, Jesus isn't saying, come to me and determine what kind of resources that you have, and then maybe I'll let you come to me. No, he's trying to establish our limitations. He's saying, go ahead and count the cost. Look at the resources you have, like actual tangible resources and internal resources. You don't have enough. He wants us to establish our limitations. You don't have enough. And he wants us to come to him like the, 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 the boy with the fishes and the loaves and say, here you go, Jesus. It's all yours. In verse 29, he says, For if you lay the foundation and aren't able to finish it, everyone who sees you will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. When he first sit down and consider, consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him, 20,000, if he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, you cannot be my disciples. And Jesus is saying, he's saying, listen, I'm not going to be an add-on to make you a better you. So you could come with your resources and think that you're going to build your own kingdom, but I'm not here to be an add-on to make you a better you. I'm not your co-pilot. I'm not your guru. I'm not your good luck charm. I'm not your cosmic candy machine. I'm not your drinking buddy. I'm your Lord and your Savior and your King. And I require everything from so Jesus is addressing the motivation of our hearts by first calling us to give up our resources for the sake of the kingdom. Everything we have for the sake of the kingdom. Again, we all have value. We all bring something. But why do we do that? Why, what is it all for? Don't you ever just sit there? What is this all for? And so he's saying, bring it all. It's all for my use. 
Everything in our everyday is about building Christ's kingdom. Bring it all. And he's asking us a question. He's saying, are you building your kingdom or mine? Whose kingdom are you here to build? He's also calling us to give up our ambitions for the sake of the kingdom. We have two very ambitious people. One that wants to build a tower and the other that wants to go to war. Very ambitious. And there's something glorious about building a giant tower. And, and in the ancient day, this would have been a little bit more, um, they would have seen this a little bit more. And actually, if you go to third world countries, you'll see it more too. You see half-made buildings. People start these big construction projects because they want to bring glory to themselves. And then they run out of money. And people laugh at them. And then you have people that want to go to war, defeat other. And he's, he's saying that's ambitious. And it's for your glory. So he's asking us, are you living for your glory or for my glory? You see, much of our lacking of seeking the kingdom is motivated by fear, anxiety, pride, insecurities, and a desire to control everything. we got to control it all. We feel like we got to make it happen or it's not going to happen. And Jesus is calling to give up everything and first seek the kingdom of God. He's like, just seek my kingdom. Just seek it. In Matthew 13, we hear this parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl. 13, 44 says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all that he had and, and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had to, and bought it. That's the kingdom of heaven. That's Jesus. That's what we found. And we sell everything for it because it's of extreme worth. Again in Matthew. Because this only makes sense if Jesus is who he says he is. And we, we hear Jesus, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Well, what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And so we have to ask ourselves, is he the son of the living God? And if he is, then we'll give up everything for him. And here's the kingdom logic. We tear down our kingdom for Christ's kingdom. That's it. We tear down our kingdom for Christ's kingdom. His eternal kingdom. And we live in that. So are you ready to surrender all to gain everything? And at the very core of gaining everything is Christ. At the very core of everything is Christ. It's all about him. Is Christ the son of the living God? If he is, if you say yes, he is, then the next question for all of us is, is he enough? Is he enough for you? So that's number two. The third thing. Following Jesus Christ is a life of radical devotion. So up to this point, 
Jesus has addressed the idols of the heart, and he's asking us the question, who is most important in your life? He has addressed the motivations of the heart by asking the question, why, do you, why are you following me? And finally, he is addressing the commitment of the heart. And he's asking the question, how are you following me? Now, as a Marine, we have core values, honor, courage, and commitment. And they pound them in our head continually. And commitment is probably one of the ones that they pound in as well. Are you committed? Are you committed to the mission? Are you committed? You'll give it all for the mission? And Jesus is asking us the same thing. How are you following me? Verse 34 says, Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile that is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Whenever Jesus says that, whoever has ears to, to hear, let them hear. It's like him grabbing a mic and dropping the mic. All right? He's saying, listen to what I just said. So what's this thing about salt? So salt, he's talking about salt losing its saltiness. Well, salt cannot lose its saltiness. We think of salt, we think of table salt. We see, we see all the salt in there, and it can't lose its saltiness. But that's not salt in the ancient world. Salt in the ancient world was compromised. And when you got salt, it was compromised with other minerals. And because waterproofing and and just storage of certain things was not as good back then as it is as here. And you would see that oftentimes salt would be compromised by moisture. And the salt would dissipate. And what you were left with was a bunch of rocks, a bunch of minerals. And it was gross. And it was good for nothing. And so you would just throw it at the manure pile. And so what he's saying is he's saying, don't be compromised. Don't be compromised. Whatever that is, whatever, that, whatever it is that compromises you for the sake of devotion to me. And we see that it's, it's a call for a life of radical devotion to Christ and his mission in our everyday. God wants to live radically devoted to him for his glory, for his mission in our everyday. You know, when I stepped in as a Marine, I went to boot camp, they gave me a new haircut. They gave me a new language, and it's funny because I left there, and people would comment. They say, you look different. Well, I had lost like 40 pounds, so that's probably one thing, and I had a goofy haircut, and I, but people usually commented on how straight I stood. They said, you seem taller, and I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, you're, and it was noticeable, and it was, a, even to this day, when I walk and people don't know that I was in the Marine Corps, they're like, were you, did you serve in the military? And I was like, you can't shake it off. <laughs> people just know. It's noticeable. And be, being a disciple of Jesus Christ means you're noticeable, and you're different. People should sit there and go, there's something different about you. Maybe it's because you have a goofy haircut. I don't know, but it, something's different about you. And as salt, we're called to be salt. We're called to preserve, protect, enhance. We're called to be antiseptic to those on our front line. Romans 12.1 says, We are called to be living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. We should be different. 
We should be different. People should say, there's something different about this person. What is it? And if no one thinks that you're different, Jesus is saying, I don't know if you're following me right. Actually, you're not. He's calling them out. We see that a li- this is called a call to a life of radical devotion to Christ's glory in our everyday. We see every day, everything, even our ordinary things, especially our ordinary things, as an opportunity to glorify Christ. We just don't glorify God when we come to church and we do churchy things. It's an opportunity to glorify Christ in everything. So here's the kingdom logic here. When we live a life radically devoted to Christ, we are doing what we are created to do. You see, when I say radical devotion, some of you are like, oh man, here we go. Here we go, just heaping it on, Brian. You're heaping it on. Isn't it good enough? I showed up, I'm here. You haven't seen me all summer. Did you have to start off with this one? Come on, warm me up. But when we live a life radically devoted to Christ, we're doing what we were created to do. And this radical devotion produces a peace and a joy that surpasses all understanding. It just does. When you're doing what you're created to do, it just feels right because that's what you're called to do. And oftentimes when I talk to people, and even in my own life, it's like, my life is so horrible, things are going bad. And it's like, how are you following Jesus? I don't know. I don't even think about it. Well, that's problem number one. You're not even thinking about it. And the next thing is, is, is people often are surprised when we're not comfortable. It's not a life of comfort. Jesus doesn't call us to a life of comfort. He calls us to a life of radical devotion to him. He's not concerned, first and foremost, about our happiness He's first and foremost considered about his glory and our holiness. So the question is, are you all in? Are we all in? As a church, as a local church here in North Andover. Now, as I conclude, times as a Marine that I refocused and restarted and, 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 and all of that usually happened when I went to a Marine Corps school. It was like a time to just like remember why I was here. And we just started a new school year, those of you that have children, or those of you that don't have children and try to drive on 125 in the morning or in the afternoon. <laughs> no, exactly, school is here. And so we have to reset, restart and refocus. And the first thing I wanna do as I conclude is I wanna reset, restart, refocus by remembering the gospel. I just wanna remember the gospel. Listen to me. If you leave nothing, you're like, gosh, Brian yelled a lot today. <laughs> Just remember this, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are all sinners. Well, let's not sugarcoat it. We're all sinners, and we deserve God's wrath. You know your own hearts. You know the things you're capable of and what you've done. The things that you think when no one thinks you're thinking them. And we deserve the wrath of God. But God didn't leave us there. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, the eternal son. He stepped down from heaven and he lived a perfect and righteous life. And then he was nailed to a cross and he bore the wrath of the father. 
And he was in anguish over that because this is the first time that the sinless eternal son ever felt the separation from the father and the weight of sin for us. And he died, but he was resurrected three days later. And we put our faith and trust in him. That righteousness that he accrued becomes our righteousness. And when God the father sees us, he sees the righteousness of his son. He doesn't see that, that other stuff. He sees the righteousness of Christ and we're clothed in Christ. And he loves us like he loves the son. And that's not it. He's coming back and he's renewing all things. To himself, He's reconciling all things to himself. And we're called to be part of that. That's part of our purpose. A ministry of reconciliation. And we're called to expand his kingdom. And live radically for him. And be totally sold out for him. That's the gospel. Second, the way that I want to restart and refocus this week is, is you should have got one of these prayer week journals. Prayer week things. We should be praying all the time, but this is a good year, good time of year to just stop. I'm going to ask you to just pray this week. Just stop. Pray with your spouse. Pray with your children. Pray by yourself. Pray with your friends. Pray with whoever. If you don't have anyone to pray, call me at the church. We'll meet up. Let's pray. But be devoted this week. Let's just, let's just give it to God and see where we're at. Have him examine our hearts. And so I, I encourage you to pray this week. With the, with the larger body of Christ. So let us begin this time of prayer. By, let me just offer God and, and pray to him right now. So would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask forgiveness for not following you the way that we should. We all fall short of this. You know it. You know we fall short, but yet you love us. And you've equipped us and you've indwelt us by the power of your Holy Spirit. So I pray that we would find encouragement in that. So we just come to you, Lord. I pray if anyone that is in here that is not a disciple of Jesus Christ because they don't know you and they never put their faith in you, I pray that you would stir in their heart at this moment and that they would come to know you. I pray for those that need to make tough decisions about how they follow you. That you would give them the, the courage to make those choices. May they choose you. May you be above everything in their life and in our lives. So we love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.